Thank you. It's a great privilege to be here. It was a great blessing to me uh, when I graduated from seminary. I was not reared a Presbyterian. Um, I was raised in another local church here in this community. Uh, when I was at the University of Georgia, I went to a Christian Missionary Alliance church, and then I left the University of Georgia and went to an evangelical free church seminary where I was a member of a Baptist General Conference church, and somehow I became a Presbyterian. And then the first uh, job I had out of seminary was here at this church. It was a great privilege to be in this church, and um, I'm very thankful for its ministry in my life as well as um, the ministry that it continues to have in the life of my family. Uh, brothers, uh, brother, sisters, um, nephews and nieces, and even my own daughter and uh, her family here as well. So I'm very thankful for this church. Would you turn uh, in your Bibles with me to the letter of 1 John? This letter written by the Apostle John um, explicitly for the purpose of addressing the issue of, of assurance. Um, how do we know that we have eternal life? That's a question that you might be asking yourself this morning. It is um, very likely that in a crowd this size, all of you are in different places in your spiritual journey. Some of you might be here this morning and you may not be certain about that. You might not be certain about even how it is that a person, a human being, could actually come into a relationship and know the living God. And yet the scripture speaks to us about that. It is the gospel, the good news, that people like us could have a relationship with God and come to know him. And uh, it is the message of 1 John that you could actually be confident about that. So I want us to think about that this morning as we look at these opening verses of John's first letter, 1 John chapter 1, we'll be reading together here verses 1 to 4. If you'd follow along in your copy of God's Word, hear now God's uh, infallible and life-giving Word. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the Word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write, so that our joy may be made complete. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that speaks to us about the eternal well-being of our souls. We pray that this morning you might enlighten our minds in the knowledge of Christ, that we might grow in our sense of confidence uh, in our relationship with you. I pray, Father, for those here this morning that might be confused about what it means to have a relationship with you, what it means to have eternal life. And pray, Father, that through our study this morning there might be clarity. I pray, Father, for uh, the Holy Spirit to be at work in our hearts to grant us greater understanding of the truths of your word, that we might be well grounded and that we might have spiritual assurance. This I pray in the great name of Jesus. 
our Lord and Savior. Amen. Have you ever been in an airport? On occasion, you might have been um, in an airport with several hours of layover. Usually what I do in an airport when I have layovers, I just find somewhere to sit and read. I don't care to be involved in all the uh, rigmarole of trying to see if I can get on another flight. But there are a couple of times when I've tried to do that, a couple of us uh, traveling from out west and um, looking for an earlier flight. We had to sit around for four or five hours, maybe be able to get back home earlier. And so you get on what they call standby. Have you ever been on standby? A lot of times it is just that. You stand by. You never get on the airplane. Well, people who are on standby, you might notice a difference between them and those who are ticketed. Those who are ticketed sit down and relax and read um, something or look at their phones. Those who are on standby fidget and pace. And also they check the monitor or go to the desk over and over again, hoping maybe they'll be able to get on the plane and not be left there for another five hours twiddling their thumbs. The difference is caused, whether you fidget and pace or sit quietly, the difference is the confidence factor that you have, whether or not you know that you're on the plane or not. Now, there's a sense in which some of us live our lives on spiritual standby. We're not sure about where we are spiritually or our relationship with God, and so there might be somewhat of an uncomfortable fidgeting about our lives spiritually. You might be here this morning, and you might have a little bit of an uncomfortable fidgeting about you spiritually. On the other hand, we might come to a place in our lives spiritually where we have a sense of confidence, a sense of certainty about our relationship with God and about what's going to happen to us when we die. What would happen to you? What would you say if suddenly you found yourself facing God in heaven? None of us ever know when that's going to take place. It could take place today, um, unexpectedly in your life. Uh, What would you say if God said to you, why should I let you into my heaven? Would you be confident that what answer you gave, God would accept? Or are you uncertain about that? Is there a sense that you are living your life Uh, sort of on spiritual standby. Well, many people are in that category. Uncertain about their faith, and that uncertainty might arise from uh, many and varied causes. Some people are uncertain about their faith because they just don't know um, how a person could have a relationship with God. How could someone have eternal life? I remember a time in my life when I was uncertain about that. I didn't know Uh, really what it meant to have a relationship with God, and thus I couldn't be certain about it. Then there are some people who are uncertain about their faith because uh, they're uncertain uh, about what the relationship is between their lives spiritually and what they pursue and how that works in their lives for a sense of assurance or confidence about their relationship with God. How would you answer about your life right now Spiritually, Are you in a place right now where you would say, I'm confident about my life spiritually, I know where I'm going, I know what's going on, I understand what eternal life is, or do you have questions about that? Are you uncertain about it? Well, 1 John was written for that purpose. I don't know of another book of the whole Bible that is written with this particular purpose in mind. In fact, John, unlike other authors of Scripture, actually tells us why he writes what he writes, In fact, the Gospel of John, he's very clear about why he writes the Gospel of John. He tells us 
Uh, these things I've written that you might believe in the Son of God and that believing in his, him you might have life in his name. Well, 1 John also tells us why it is written. 1 John 5, verse 13, uh, the Apostle John says to us, These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, some people think uh, there's no one could actually know that they have eternal life. In fact, they might assume that if you think you know that you're going to heaven when you die, well, that's just spiritual arrogance. What makes you think you're so good uh, that God would let you into his heaven and you're confident about that? Well, of course, it's not based on any goodness that we find in ourselves. It's based upon our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can actually know, uh, you can be confident right now, this morning, and maybe some of you who are not confident will leave here with a sense of confidence that no matter what happens in my life, I know the greatest problem in my life has already been resolved, my relationship to the living God. If I were to die today, although you might not want to die today, if you were to die today, you're confident that you would enter into heaven and be received by your heavenly Father. These things have been written, John says, so that you might know that you have eternal life. Well, what things? Well, ostensibly, everything that occurs in the entire book, uh, chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, and 5, up to verse 13. But this morning in particular, we're looking at these first four verses of the opening chapter of 1 John. And there are two things I want you to take note of this morning that would help produce a certainty about your faith and your relationship with God. Number one, I want you to note, uh, as John belabors the point, that a certain faith has an, a historical foundation to it. And then number two, uh, that a certain faith has a Christological foundation. It is centered upon and grounded in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So note these opening words again as John belabors this point that uh, there is a historical foundation for our faith, uh, beginning with verse 1. Uh, note the senses referred to. He says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, what we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also. So here John is declaring that the Christian faith, the faith that we proclaim about the Lord Jesus Christ, is grounded in historical events. It is grounded in the facts of history, in events that took place in space and time that could be observed by men. In other words, we have a certain faith because the things about which we speak actually happened in space and time 2,000 years ago in the land of Israel. These things are not the fabrications of men. These things about Jesus are not some fiction made up by someone, uh, by some mystic who made up nice stories uh, to give us some sense of morality about how we ought to live or to make us feel good. But everywhere it is the testimony of Scripture and it is the testimony particularly of the Apostle John in this passage that he's speaking to us about events that occurred in history. An historical record of what actually happened 
And that's, of course, the very point that he's making here in these verses. John states that all he wrote about concerning the life and the ministry of Jesus was the account of what he himself witnessed, what he saw with his eyes, what he heard with his ears, even what he handled with his own hands. Note um, the senses referred to here, hearing, sight, uh, touch. He says in verse 1, what we have heard, not only himself, but also the other disciples and many others beside, he says, we are telling you what we have heard. And verse 3, what we have heard, we proclaim to you. The sense of sight in verse 2. What we have seen with our eyes. What we have looked at. And the life was manifested. That is, these things were done out in the open so they could be observed. And we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Verse 3, what we have seen we proclaim to you also. And then there's also the sense of touch. John says in verse 1, what we have touched with our hands. So all of these things are uh, meant to convey to you uh, the idea that this faith that we speak about in the Lord Jesus Christ is a certain faith because it is founded in actual events that took place in space and time. And John writes not about something he heard, not something that he heard someone tell him about, something they heard, but John writes about things that he himself heard. He writes about what he himself witnessed. For three years, John walked around with Jesus from Jerusalem all the way to Galilee and back, who knows how many times. For three years, John heard Jesus preached in all kinds of settings. He heard him teach all of these various parables that we read about and recorded for us in the Gospels. He had long conversations with Jesus late into the night. He walked with Jesus from town to town and heard for himself all the sermons that are recorded for us, all the discourses, all the parables. And what John writes about, he himself saw with his own eyes. He saw the leper's body cleansed before his own eyes. He saw the blind man in John 9 receive sight and heard the testimony of his parents. Yes, this is our son who was born blind. He saw Lazarus come out of the grave, raised from the dead. He saw Jesus hanging upon the cross. He saw Jesus risen from the dead after he was uh, resurrected by the power of God. With his own eyes he saw it. It was manifested him out in the open. He looked upon Jesus. He was an eyewitness of those events. So what John writes about is not secondhand. It's not thirdhand. What John writes about is what he himself handled and touched with his own hands. You might remember um, the testimony of John's gospel concerning um, Thomas, uh, the doubter. Remember he said, I'm not going to believe unless I can place my fingers in the fingerprints, the nail prints in the hands of Jesus and could place my hand in his pierced side 
and um, Jesus appeared in a room and said to Thomas, here, place your fingers in the nail holes. Uh, Place your hand here in my side. And then Thomas, seeing Jesus and touching his resurrected body, cried out, my Lord and my God. It is by these senses, the sense of touch, uh, sight, and um, hearing, and also uh, the senses of taste and smell, that you and I function in this world. This is how we know much of what we know. It is by our senses. And every day you and I act on the knowledge that we receive from our senses, and we basically uh, trust what our senses tell us for the most part. They are reliable. Uh, I know the 18th century um, Scottish philosopher David Hume supposedly called into question our sense uh, perception. I think R.C. Sproul uh, uh, handles that well. But you and I function in this world, uh, despite what the skeptics may say, um, on the basis of the general uh, reliability of what we learn from our senses. Um, some people will say, well, we can't trust anything. We're now in a postmodern era. No one can really know any truth. We can't have any certainty about anything. Uh, I always want to say, well, are you certain about that? And of course, uh, there can't be certain even about that. Or the postmodern uh, an- analyst who um, deconstructs language and says language means nothing. Uh, well, then the language he uses to prove that language means nothing also means nothing, which means he means nothing. Uh, We can't function in that way. We function on the basis of what we ordinarily observe and see with our senses, and they must be verified and carefully evaluated, but that's how we function. How many of you came here this morning in an automobile? Probably every one of you got here in an automobile. And uh, before you got in the car this morning, you didn't stop and say to yourself, well, you know what, maybe I better not drive today. I really can't trust my senses. You couldn't function that way, could you? You didn't even think about it. You just got in the vehicle and you trusted when the light was red, you should stop. You trusted that when you put your foot on the brake, your car would slow down. And when you pressed your foot on the accelerator, it would speed up. And you trusted not only that, but the other people as well who were on the highway with you, you trusted them that they would also generally act on the basis of the reliability of their senses. We can function in this way because we are living in a world that God created by his sovereign hand. Uh, And this world functions according to predictable principles which he has established in this world. And um, thus we are able to know things. It is a physical, material world that we can see and touch and observe. Jesus came into this world in the flesh Uh, John writes, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. He could be seen and heard and touched. Note how John belabors this point. Uh, Already we've noted, seen, heard, beheld, looked upon, handled, manifested. By the way, how do you know that you are born? How do you know when you are born or where you were born? Uh, I doubt you, any of you remember that. But someone else who was an eyewitness of your birth gives testimony that you were born on such and such a day in such and such a place at such and such a time. It was witnessed by someone else and they testified to the truth of that. 
This is the historical foundation of the faith that we proclaim as uh, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only is it that John belabors this point, uh, read the opening verses of the gospel according to Luke. Luke belabors the point that he researched everything and put it in consecutive order, consulted other eyewitnesses to get their testimony so that the man he writes, Theophilus, would know the exact truth about what he was writing. And First Peter also, in Second Peter chapter 1, makes the point. He says, we did not create cleverly devised fables, but we recorded for you what we witnessed with our own eyes. Eyewitness testimony is what they uh, lay before us. Now, some of you may be aware that just the other day, uh, O.J. Simpson uh, was released on parole. I don't think he's in Macon, so don't worry. I think he's in Florida somewhere. But you know, he just spent 10 years incarcerated, and for what? Well, it was because he was charged with kidnapping and robbery. Of course, you may know in 1997, he was acquitted of the charges of having murdered his wife, Nicole, and also uh, another man named uh, Ron Coleman or something of that nature. Um, And there was all manner of evidence. The trial was everywhere. You might have watched some of it. People were spellbound by it. And all kinds of evidence was marshaled to try to prove his guilt. But, of course, he wasn't proven guilty. He was acquitted. And they brought forth hair evidence that his uh, hair consistent with his was found on Ron Goldman's shirt. They brought forth fiber evidence from his uh, bronco that was the same. They brought forth blood evidence. Uh, They brought forth the particular special kinds of shoes and the shoe prints that were made that are very, very rare. They brought all kinds of circumstantial evidence, but they were not able to convict him. Why? What was missing that could have sealed the deal? There were no eyewitnesses. There was no eyewitness testimony to the fact that O.J. Simpson actually committed these murders and so he was acquitted. This is the point that John is making for us. That what you have in this book, particularly in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is what purports to be the eyewitness testimony of those who were there, who heard the words of Jesus, saw his deeds, and even handled, touched him. So you and I can have a certain faith because we know that our faith is not hanging in the air or based on some myth or based on some fiction made up by somebody, but rather it is grounded in the actual events that took place in space and time It has a historical foundation. Secondly, this faith that we proclaim has a Christological foundation. In other words, it is focused upon and centered upon Jesus. In verse 3 we read, What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. So our faith is a certain faith also because it is focused upon the person and the work of Jesus. That is, our faith is certain when it is founded upon and grounded in 
the person of Jesus, who is the Christ. That is what Christology is, the study of Christ. This is at the heart of a certain faith. Sometimes people think about the Christian faith as being um, a moral code of some sort about being nice and being kind, and certainly uh, the Christian faith does have a moral code, uh, but you can't reduce the Christian faith down to a moral code. The Christian faith is about a person. It is about Jesus. It is about a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We are grounded in this faith, in the real historical person of Jesus and the historical acts that he did on our behalf, the acts of redemption, which he performed out in the open to be seen by men. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, came to this earth, dwelled among us to be beheld. He took upon himself a true body and a reasonable soul, as the Catechism says, and uh, manifested himself and did the works of eternal life uh, to be observed by men. So John says, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits in chapter 4 of 1 John to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. John states in verse 2 and 3 of this first chapter of his letter, he says, I'm speaking to you concerning the word of life. Who is the word of life? The word of life is Jesus. You might recall the opening uh, verses of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is the word of life, and John is speaking about the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Remember, John is writing to people who have put their faith in Jesus so that they might know that they actually have and possess eternal life. Seven times throughout this letter, First uh, John, uh, the phrase eternal life is found. It is always about something having to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. Eternal life is found in a relationship with Jesus. There's a Christological foundation to it. A certain faith begins when you make a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. When you bow down before him and embrace him as your Savior and your Lord. Notice how Jesus himself defines eternal life. You ever noticed how Jesus talks about eternal life? In John 17, verse 3, usually when we think about eternal life, we think about duration. It's eternal. Uh, we mean by that it doesn't stop. We think about it quantitatively. But Jesus doesn't speak about it that way. Jesus speaks about eternal life qualitatively. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know me or know you, the living and true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Eternal life is about knowing God. It's about having a relationship with God. It is about fellowship with the living God. Notice how Jesus himself uh, emphasizes this, or John emphasizes this, even in these first verses. Our fellowship is with him and our fellowship is with one another. 
It is about fellowship, sharing common life with God, being reconciled, having your sins forgiven. So John writes in John 5, verses 11 and 12, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. This life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who has not the Son of God does not have the life. When we know Jesus and have fellowship with him, then we have fellowship with God. He reconciles us to the Father. And then we also have fellowship with one another in the body of Christ in the church. This is the gospel. This is what we call good news. That someone such as you who has sinned against God and deserves the judgment of God could actually have a relationship with God, could have your sins forgiven, removed from you as though they never Existed, As Psalm 103 says, he removes our sins as far from us as the east is from the west and will remember them against us no more. That we can have our sins forgiven and come into a relationship with the living God through the work of Jesus who takes our sins away on the cross. That is the Christological foundation of enjoying a relationship with God of a certain faith. And so our lives then would be filled with joy. Jesus gives us fellowship with God the Father himself and a certainty about that so that out of that fellowship flows a fullness of joy. These things we write, John says in verse 4, so that our joy may be made complete. What could be more joyous than knowing God and having a certainty about your relationship to stand before God, even this very day, to stand right now in this place and have absolute confidence that were you to die today, you would enter into glory in the presence of your heavenly Father. I read a story about a Cornish miner um, named Billy Bray. And apparently, Billy Bray had a dramatic conversion, and he was so happy about his conversion that he was almost obnoxious about it. He was always running around uh, shouting about how uh, God had saved him. He says he had so much joy, he just was shouting all the time. Someone said to him, Billy Bray, why don't you tone it down a little bit? You're just too happy. You got too much joy all the time. Billy Bray said, I can't help it. God saved me and I can't help it. When I put down one foot, it says hallelujah. When I put down the other foot, it says glory to God. They said, well, Billy, what if you're mistaken? Suppose when you die, you found out that you, know, you find out you're not going to heaven, but you're going to hell instead. He said, oh, praise God. I've been having a wonderful time with the Lord here on earth all these years. Jesus has been good to me, and if I die and go down to hell, then I'll be thankful for the joy that Jesus brought me in this life. And I'll shout all over hell, and they'll have to send me up to heaven because they can't stand that kind of joy down there. The good news is that you and I can have that kind of joy right now. We can have uh, the joy of a certain faith that we know uh, the living God and that he'll receive us into heaven because of what Jesus has done. Right now, this very day, at this very moment, 
eternal life uh, can be yours. Eternal life is not something we have to wait on until we die. Actually, uh, eternal life begins right now. Jesus said in John 6, verse 47, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me has eternal life. Not might have, not could have, not one day will have, but right now, he who believes in me has eternal life. This is the certainty of faith that you and I can have in Jesus. Founded upon the historical facts of the gospel, rooted in the life and death of Jesus, an historical faith and a Christological faith, a certain faith to believe and a certain faith to proclaim. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, moving upon the Apostle John to put pen to paper and to record his eyewitness account about the life and ministry of Jesus, that we might hear that testimony and have our faith well established upon this foundation and centered and focused upon Jesus. Lord, I pray this morning that you might work this certainty into our hearts and we make our prayer in the glorious name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.